You're listening to KCBS In-Depth. Everyone is facing these huge life-changing moments. The people, places, and issues the Bay Area is talking about. I think it really is important for folks to reach out to people so they can know that they're not alone. We don't know how long all this is going to go on for. And from an emotional standpoint, psychologically, that's a really difficult, difficult thing to grapple with. This is KCBS In-Depth. A new chapter in California politics opened this week with the news that the backers of an effort to recall Governor Newsom likely have the signatures they need to qualify for a recall election. I'm Keith Menconi. This is KCBS In-Depth, and today on the program, we'll be taking a closer look at the campaign to oust Newsom just two years into his first term as governor. Up first, we'll be hearing from Politico's Carla Marinucci to get the rundown on how this campaign managed to gain traction and how the governor is responding. Then in the second half, KCBS political analyst Larry Gersten is going to bring us a look back at the last time California had a recall election for its governor. It was considerably different from what we see today in so many ways. First up on the program, uh, let's welcome on Carla Marinucci, again, a reporter for Politico and a senior writer for Politico's California Playbook. Uh, So, Carla, you've been following this recall effort closely. Let's start with what happened this past week. Uh, Supporters were facing down a deadline to get enough signatures turned in, and it seems like they've managed to hit the mark and then some. Absolutely. I mean, the supporters say they they handed in 2.1 million signatures this week, um, and they only need 1.5 million to qualify this recall. It's going to be a couple more weeks before you find out. But what happened is that, uh, you know, the Newsom team kicked off immediately. We saw the governor's political team plunge into this, taking it on, uh, acknowledging for the first time really what, what has happened, but also indicating how they're going to fight this recall. Uh, They're going to be defining it as a Republican recall with a capital R is what Mm. we were told, Uh, talking about the extremists, uh, according to them, uh, and some of the more right-wing aspects of the the supporters of the recall. The governor also brought on a huge political A-team, some of the most uh, veteran folks in California politics and even in national politics to help him fight this recall. Uh, and people who have worked with Kamala Harris and some national figures, that shows he is going to play hard. He's not going to take anything for granted. That's pretty clear. And even from the, from the opening bell uh, in the first 48 hours, the campaign uh, Newsom's campaign raised $538,000 from 50 states. They've got a fundraising team that uh, that advised Bernie Sanders and helped him raise millions and millions of dollars. So it looks like this is going to be a hard and fast race. This is going to be the political story of 2021. Uh, it's going to be national in scope. And Gavin Newsom's team signaled this week with those signatures going in that they are ready to play hard and uh, to beat this back. And that's kind of a remarkable turnaround because I don't think it was too many weeks ago that uh, a lot of political analysts in California were saying, oh, you know, it's still not clear if this is really going to go anywhere. It's this is probably going to fizzle out, as many other recall efforts have in the past. And uh, here we have Governor Newsom taking this very seriously now. 
Yeah, I mean, for a long time, you're absolutely right. We we all of us thought this was a long shot effort, and it still is in some ways. But the fact is that they got luck and timing on their side. The recall proponents did uh, a luck because this happened uh, when they first filed for this recall back in February of 2020. They didn't even mention the pandemic as being a reason to recall Newsom. And this is the sixth recall attempt on the governor. Uh, they mm. mentioned sort of red meat conservative issues like high taxes, gun control, illegal immigration. But uh, the, the pandemic hit and that allowed um, them uh, to, to sort of marshal a lot of the anger at Newsom. Remember that Newsom brought in the, the, uh, the country's first statewide stay at home order last March and uh, regional stay at home orders. He uh, upset churches, who, some of whom sued him when he closed uh, houses of worship. Um, that, those went all the way to the Supreme Court. He angered people in Southern California, like Orange County, by closing beaches. And of course, on the schools, that is an area where millions of Californians, you got 6 million California school kids in public schools. And a lot of those parents were upset at him. Those That happened. And of course, Newsom had his own self-inflicted wounds, the French laundry mm. dinner which came, yeah. uh, which uh, just handed people uh, the opportunity to cry hypocrisy at Newsom as he urged people to stay home and attended that fancy lobbyist dinner in Napa County. The recall proponents got one other really important uh, piece of luck and timing, and that was a judge that extended their, uh, the, the uh, deadline for them to, to uh, gather those signatures for 120 days. They were almost out of gas last November, but because of the pandemic, the judge extended that, that deadline until March. That, the recall would not have qualified if they hadn't gotten that extension. So a, a couple of different sort of interesting and unusual aspects of the news have turned up and turned this into a really serious uh, political moment for Gavin Newsom. All right. Speaking with Carla Marinucci, a senior writer for Politico's California Playbook and laying out some of the dissatisfactions right there with Governor Newsom uh, throughout California and part of the reason uh, why he is facing down this recall effort. Now that the signatures are in, I I suppose we're getting a a better sense of who exactly is uh, fired up against Governor Newsom. Uh, We have a sense of the breakdown between uh, GOP, no party preference, Democrats uh, that were willing to put their signature to this. What have we learned so far? Yeah, I mean, the recall proponents tell us, Dave Gilliard, the, uh, uh, one of the chief strategists behind the recall, uh, tells us that um, look, two-thirds of the people signing those ballots uh, or the, those recall petitions are Republicans. About 25% are no party preference. 9% are Democrats. Uh, so it is a bipartisan effort, but it is still an overwhelmingly Republican effort. I, I think a lot of the people signing are, are those ones. Uh, you know, you get parents with kids out of schools. And you know, Newsom has come under fire. Uh, governors of other states, including some, uh, you know, Massachusetts, uh, uh, including where, where there's a Republican governor, uh, have used their executive authority to call for the full reopening of schools. That hasn't happened here yet. And you know, a lot of the criticism is 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 Gavin Newsom letting the California Teachers Association, uh, one of his bi- biggest political supporters, to have too much sway in this. We're seeing an opening of schools, but that is a big one. I think parents are are one of the drivers behind this, but certainly the conservative um, factions uh, both here in California and and nationally have gotten behind it. Let's not forget uh, that this has become a national issue. You've got 
um, major Republican figures like Governor Mike Huckabee, like Newt Gingrich, the Republican National Committee, which has donated $250,000 toward this. And then the California Republican Party is also in on it. Um, we're, uh, President Donald Trump has reportedly said he may uh, want to get in on this and somehow either campaign or uh, endorse where we don't even know yet. But the fact is that um, this is a, a national story for, for the Republican party. Gavin Newsom has a national target on his back and he's become a cause uh, for, for conservatives across the country as well. So on both sides of the aisle, um, this is gonna be a throwdown and a, and a very big moment in, uh, for California politics. But also some people are saying it's kind of a proxy war for 2022 for the um, midterms coming up and and that this is sort of an exhibition game for what we can expect, the mm. kind of themes that uh, we can expect in uh, 2022 and 2024 elections. So uh, a lot for political watchers to chew over there and uh, uh, look forward to in a lot of ways. Uh, you know, we've been talking about the many grievances that the the signatories to this have against Governor Newsom. Let's uh, just add to the list the, the scandal involving the California uh, Employment Development Department uh, and also the disappointment among many of the, the pledges to end homelessness and uh, the relative uh, lack of progress that many feel that we've made, although many uh, have been put up in apartments. So it uh, depends on who you ask how much progress has really been made there. Let's take the flip side of that now and talk about a little bit uh, more about Governor Newsom's response to all this. You you mentioned that he's trying to paint the recall effort as uh, an extremist right-wing takedown, uh, his his opponents as Trumpists. Uh, expand on that a little bit more. What have we been hearing so far? Yeah, I mean, the the idea that this is a Republican recall, that is one that you'll see uh, Governor Newsom's website, Stop the Republican Recall. That's how they're defining it. And Newsom now has mentioned several times in his uh, media avails this week that uh, some of the early proponents of this recall have been backers of QAnon, anti-vax movements, extremist uh, uh, movements, and that Orrin Heatley, one of the founders of this recall, in an early Facebook post suggested microchipping illegal immigrants. Uh, Mr. Heatley did do that. We've talked to him about it. He says it was a kind of a hypothetical, and that's something that he doesn't support. But the bottom line is uh, Newsom's team is able to tie some of those early report uh, supporters to some sort of extremist and very far right causes. Um, by putting that out there this early, I think Newsom's team is very much signaling to Democrats uh, who may be wavering or independent voters who may be wavering uh, that they may be tied to some of these groups. Uh, it may be something that might dissuade people from wanting to get involved in this recall. And certainly they're hoping it's going to dissuade donors uh, even corporate donors from getting in on this, from being tied at the hip to some of these more extremist uh, groups, including, uh, Newsom has said, some of the folks who supported the January 6th insurrection in the Capitol. So this is where uh, the, the Newsom team will try to define those Republicans as extremists. But Tom Del Beccaro, the recall, one of the recall chairmen, has said that Newsom is playing a, uh, a dangerous game by doing that much as Hillary Clinton defined some of uh, the Republican supporters as deplorables uh, and, mm -hmm. and that that sort of came back at her. Um, uh, Del Beccaro says the same thing is going to happen to Newsom, that there are many mainstream Democrats and independents who are uh, considering supporting this recall or have already signed the petition. So we'll see how that plays out. But that's 
clearly a political strategy on the part of the Newsom team uh, from the from the opening shot here. Right. And it seems especially dangerous considering the fact that these are real bread and butter issues. It's the question of can I send my children to school? It's the the question of can I get my uh, unemployment check in the mail? And so if uh, folks feel like this is being belittled, their concerns are being belittled and just thrown into that sort of deplorable framework that you just mentioned a second ago, it could feed into this broader perception that you do hear from a lot of disgruntled disgruntled California residents that uh, the governor is out of touch, feels entitled, and just has this image of uh, holding himself uh, above the rest of the populace. And that is a sense that was bolstered by the French laundry incident. Yeah, I, exactly, Keith. I mean, I think that's what the, the recall proponents are betting on, that Newsom uh, will be seen as an out of touch, someone who has lost touch with just average voters out there, someone who is high flying, you know, at the, at the French laundry in Silicon Valley and Hollywood, etc and doesn't have a real perception of what's going on with average folks. On the other side, we got to note that the Democrats have a two to one advantage here uh, over Republicans in California. And they're saying that this is essentially a Republican power grab, an effort to take out Gavin Newsom a year before his reelection. That if Republicans are really upset with the way Newsom was governing, uh, they could wait until 2022, the regular election uh, before California voters. and. They point out that this uh, recall could cost California about $100 million when it comes down to it. It's going to be a very expensive and divisive uh, campaign over the next year. So those are some of the arguments as you go back and forth uh, on this recall. It will be something that will be the center of attention uh, from now until probably October or November when this comes before the voters, if it does. I mean, we, we still have until probably late April when we know when these signatures will qualify. There's a number of other hurdles, including what the election is going to cost. And uh, people will have actually 30 days to take their names off the recall petitions if they want. That was a law passed by the California legislature uh, to sort of put the brakes on another recall for uh, Josh Newman, which failed. But the fact is that it's available this time around. So there are there are a number of things that could still happen and um, all kinds of mechanics that are going to be at play. Let's not forget, this is California. A lot can happen. It's a political lifetime between now and, say, October and November. Keith. And, um, you know, you know what, what could go wrong? A summer, <laughs> uh, a summer of drought. A summer of wildfires and planned power outages that affect millions of people. I mean, it, it, there are there are a number of issues looming ahead that could be big pitfalls for Gavin Newsom. So nobody should take anything for granted uh, as we're as we're going ahead. G- given that California is an overwhelmingly democratic state, and given that Gavin Newsom was elected in a landslide in 2018, um, there's still issues that could trip him up as we head toward this uh, recall election, if there is one, in October and November. What could go wrong? All right. That's a uh, <laughs> a good mantra to approach uh, the year 2021 uh, coming out of a very interesting year and into yet another one. Uh, we have been speaking today to Carla Marinucci, one more time, a senior writer for Politico's California Playbook. Carla Marinucci, always a pleasure to speak with you. Always good to be here. Thanks. You're listening to KCBS In-Depth, your weekly deep dive into the events and trends shaping life in the Bay Area and beyond. I'm Keith Manconi. 
Today on the program, the recall threat to Gavin Newsom's governorship is now more real than ever. Following the news this past week that recall backers have submitted more than 2 million signatures in support of the effort, likely enough to qualify. Continuing the conversation, we're going to get some historical perspective on all this now by dusting off our memories of the last governor recall in California. Our guide back down memory lane is KCBS political analyst and San Jose State political science professor emeritus Larry Gersten, who wrote the book on the 2003 Great Davis recall campaign, literally. It's called Recall, California's Political Earthquake. And he joins us now to help us get our bearings in all this. Uh, Larry Gersten, welcome back to KCBS In Depth. Thank you. Happy to be with you. All right, so let's talk about that 2003 recall effort. What should Californians try to make sense of what's happening today remember about what happened then? It was considerably different uh, from what we see today in so many ways. I mean, to begin with, uh, Gray Davis was not a very liked guy. Um, uh, He played tough. Uh, he, uh, was, uh, he knew where he wanted to go and they took people with him if, if they could, if they could stay along. Uh, but always there was something he expected. Uh, uh, he was a, a tough campaigner and, uh, and, and if you dealt with him, uh, he didn't want to talk to you until you've got, you had something for his campaign. Um, he wasn't particularly liked in the legislature because, uh, he really had little, uh, desire to compromise with the legislature. Um, and it was mostly democratic in those days, not nearly as democratic as it is now. But nonetheless, um, they didn't really have a whole lot of uh, regard for him, which, by the way, uh, came to, back to haunt him uh, to the extent that uh, when the recall actually took place, uh, the, the uh, support for, for Davis was, uh, let's call it tepid. Uh, there weren't a lot of uh, Democrats that really wanted to go out of their way uh, to try to help him stave off the other side. Oh, they weren't looking forward to it, but they just didn't feel like they owed him much um, uh, at the time. Um, A couple of other things uh, that make this recall different. Uh, The the recall in 2003 was really largely due to to the efforts of Daryl Issa, who was then of course a congressman from Southern California. And at that time, I think the wealthiest congressman uh, of all of them. And, uh, and he, uh, he plopped down $2 million, which was a lot of money uh, 20 years ago. And uh, <laughs> in, the, in the process, that really allowed the infrastructure, the recall infrastructure to get going quickly. And interestingly enough, it all started about five months after, after uh, Davis had been elected to a second term by a pretty slim margin uh, in the low 50s. Uh, so so his, uh, his re-election was not exactly a, an overwhelming endorsement. So that's another thing. Newsom, of course, won by, I think, 62% of the vote. So there's so many differences uh, in terms of, uh, of, of how these things started. But anyway, mm-hmm. uh, uh, the, the way this whole thing unfolded uh, was there were probably three big issues at the time that kind of converged uh, on, on Davis. So one, uh, uh, the uh, deficit, there was about a 25, 26 million dollar, billion, excuse me, billion dollar deficit that came out of nowhere, supposedly, although it seems that the governor at that time knew something about it. Uh, there was, of course, the power crisis, which really wasn't uh, Davis's fault, uh, but nonetheless, he was the governor at the time. Uh, that came from a, from a bill the legislature, a very uh, uh, badly written bill that the legislature had, had passed unanimously, uh, that changed the way 
uh, California's power uh, uh, acquisition uh, emerged. And third, uh, there was a recession. So you put all those things together and, and, and a governor who wasn't really that popular, didn't have that much support. There you have it. That was the beginning. And here we are in 2021 and uh, with a governor that is once again facing down a number of crises, although you could kind of boil it all down to COVID-19 and the response to it. Do you see the sorts of crises that Governor Newsom is facing down right now as engendering the same kind of anger that uh, Gray Davis was facing down? Or are there a separate set of issues in terms of the handling that uh, are coloring this in a different way? I think you see a lot of anger as you did with Davis, but I'm not so sure the anger is as as widespread uh, as it was uh, with with uh, with Davis. And I think it may be more targeted. Um, COVID is really uh, the basis here. Yes, we've got the anti-vaxxers and we've got the folks who were upset that the schools uh, were, were closed as long as they were and, and the athletes and all this. You, we've got all these little tiny niche groups uh, that are kind of surrounding the big COVID nut, if you will. Um, so I don't think that, that we see quite as much uh, verve in that sense. Now, that's not to say that it goes away, uh, but, but to the extent that COVID goes, disappears or, or, or becomes minimized, you kind of wonder whether that anger, which built up with Davis, will stay as intense uh, or not just kind of like dissipate uh, due to that great big nut it's self-dissipating. So, so I think you've got a, a different set of circumstances and you've got a different uh, collection of people. And the other thing is, uh, remember, California uh, was much more of a two-party system in those days. Um, and so the Democrats, while the majority, were not nearly as one-sided in their majority as they are now. And so if you assume that, um, that most Democrats will support the governor, and I realize that's an assumption, um, he probably should have enough. Now, the governors can find all kinds of ways to neutralize his popularity. He's already worked to do that somewhat. Um, but, 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 but assuming that, uh, that, that he manages things better than he has to this point, um, it's, it's hard for me to imagine that uh, there would be the same kind of intensity that we saw with Davis, which only seemed to grow over time. All right. And uh, yeah, I want to pick up on that point in just a second. But real quick, I want to remind listeners that we are speaking right now to Larry Gersten. He once again is San Jose State political science professor emeritus. Uh, his book from a number of years back is Recall, California's Political Earthquake, uh, recounting the 2003 effort to recall then-Governor Gray Davis. We are updating that work right now, seeing what it has to say about the current recall effort facing down Governor Gavin Newsom. And We've been talking a little bit about the personality quirks that perhaps made uh, Gray Davis's effort to save his political life a little bit more complicated. Let's talk about uh, Gavin Newsom and what his standing in the California Democratic Party might say about his political future. Uh, you said that Gray Davis didn't uh, enjoy some of the key allies, some of the key support that he maybe needed. Uh, how's it looking for Gavin Newsom? Well, it's interesting. Um the Democrats, I think, will support Newsom. Um, uh, th- there's not the animus t- uh, toward him that there was, especially by the legislative David, uh, Democrats, that there was toward toward Davis. But but uh, Newsom certainly doesn't have a lot of strong Democratic Party roots. Now, of course, a lot of people adopt political parties on the come. I mean, it's, it's not exactly parties in general are not strong in California. But, but I don't know to what extent that will in any way... Uh, discourage Democrats from coming up. But let's remember 
uh, this state is almost two to one Democrat. And so you can throw every Republican out there, out there and it still won't be nearly enough. And uh, you got to assume that uh, uh, Demo Newsom would get most of the Democrats and probably a good chunk of the independents, at least for now. Remember, this is early. This is early. And so much can change over the next few months. With all that's changed in California's political makeup since 2003 with, you know, Democrats, obviously, as you've uh, pointed out, uh, taking up more and more political oxygen in uh, the in the room in California. What does that tell us about the potential prospects for this uh, for this recall effort? I mean, uh, it, it does seem like Republicans are going to be fighting up a much steeper hill than they were in 2003. It, it looks like it at the moment. Um, but again, uh, let's say the election is held in October, November, maybe December. So much can happen. So much can happen. This is a volatile place, California. And, uh, and you know, things that really are outside of the governor's control could, could have an impact. It's really hard to know. We know this much. I think he begins, at least right now, on much firmer footing than Davis did. Um, Davis just seemed to set people off in lots of ways. I don't think Newsom sets them off in that kind of way. And, and, uh, and at the moment, he looks like he's, I think, in pretty fair shape. But so much can change. Now, in closing, I'm curious, as somebody who has looked in depth at uh, the last recall effort and has looked in depth at uh, California politics uh, throughout the last many years, what do you make of this peculiar uh, system that we have? It's not every government around the world that has this particular voter direct way of getting rid of your uh, top leadership in, in, in the state. And uh, uh, just in general, California has many of these uh, direct opportunities for voters to weigh in and exactly how they're going to be governed. Uh, what is your take on what we get as Californians for having this recall mechanism? And is, is it worth it? You know, that's a good question. Uh, when when the, de the direct democracy was created by the then reformers uh, in, in about the early 1900s, the idea was for the people to take control of power instead of huge interest groups, mostly big business that seemed to be running the state. Think about the, the Southern Pacific Railroad, for, for, for example, in California, that really did run the state. So they said, Let, let's give it to the voters. Well, that, that assumes the voters know what they're doing. And I think that's always the question. The question that uh, the people in, in politics will say, do they know what they're doing? Do they not know what they're doing? Um, certainly we, we know this much, and that is that it does give people tremendous power that they don't have in many other states. Uh, and we've seen at times them use that power uh, in ways uh, that uh, might make others blanch. But the fact of the matter is uh, that if this is a critical power of the people and uh, whether they decide to, uh, to use it to remove a governor, uh, which has never happened in California, except for the time Gray Davis was done, uh, remains to be seen. And uh, that is just going to be the big question hanging in the air over California politics in the months ahead. We have been speaking today to KCBS political analyst and San Jose State political science professor emeritus, Larry Gersten. Larry Gersten, thanks so much. You're welcome, Keith. Thanks for listening. Remember, you can find past editions of KCBS In-Depth online at the KCBS website or wherever you get your podcasts. For KCBS and In-Depth, I'm Keith Menconi. Stay safe, be well. We'll see you next week. 
You've been listening to KCBS In-Depth. Get every episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other podcast platforms. Visit kcbsradio.com for more news and interviews. We are the Bay Area's news station, KCBS.